This is part two of episode four of this podcast. The title is The Evil Moors Murderers, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. In part one of this episode, I concentrated on the murderers, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. I delved into their backgrounds before they met and looked at how they operated as a couple. In part two, I will cover the victim stories and their family stories. There are five victims involved in this case. The youngest victim was Leslie Ann Downey, who was only 10 years old when she was murdered. And the oldest victim was Edward Evans, who was 17 years old when he was murdered. victim of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley was a young girl called Pauline Reed, who at the time of her murder was 16 years old. Pauline Reed was born on the 18th of February 1947. She was murdered on the 12th of July of 1963. It was said that Pauline Reed was keen on music, especially pop music. Ian Brady and Myra Hindley had discussed carrying out the murder of children and that he wanted to commit the perfect murder. On the day of the 12th of July in 1963, the killers had gone to work as normal. After work, Ian Brady had already decided that the time was right to carry out his sick plan. He told Myra to drive her van that she had at the time and that he would follow her on his motorbike and that when he spotted a potential victim, he would flash his headlight. Pauline Reed lived with her mother Joan, her father Amos and her brother Paul. They all lived in a house in Gorton, Manchester. On the day Pauline was killed, she had been planning on going to a dance. She was walking by herself for the short walk when Ian Brady spotted her and flashed his headlight in order for Myra to stop and approach the girl. Myra vaguely knew Pauline Reed, but only really by sight. Pauline and Maureen, Myra's sister, were at school together. Pauline Reed was approached by Myra with Ian probably already making his own way to Saddleworth Moors or hanging back to see what was happening. Myra would later admit that she offered Pauline some records that she had in the back of her van if Pauline would just do her a favour and help her to look for her glove that she had apparently dropped on Saddleworth Moors earlier in the day. Pauline Reed agreed and got into the van with Myra Hindley and they made their way to the moors. Once they arrived there, Ian Brady turned up and introduced himself to Pauline. After they were introduced, Myra said that Ian and Pauline went off together to look for the glove. It was a light evening in July and when they left, Myra apparently it was still light, but later when Ian came back on his own, it was dark. Whether or not Myra stayed in the van just waiting is doubtful, but it came to light many years later that Myra had seen Pauline's body. Her throat had been cut and it was obvious that she had been raped. They both helped to bury Pauline Reed's body using a spade that they had brought with them just for that purpose. Once it was discovered that Pauline had not come home from the dance that she was heading to, her parents went out looking for her. When they failed to find her anywhere, the police were called. The news made the local papers and local news programmes at the time. It was discovered that Pauline had not made it to the dance, but not much else was really known. Over time, the young girl's disappearance was often put down to her wanting a new life and running away, or that she had gone off with a boy that nobody had known about. Her parents and other members of Pauline's family knew that she did not just run away. 
Her body was eventually recovered from the moors in 1987 after the murderers confessed. They would eventually help to lead detectives to her gravesite. This happened over 20 years after Ian Brady and Myra Hindley had been locked away for life. As you can imagine, her family never got over the unexplained disappearance of Pauline and it changed her mother's life forever. She was never the same again. Pauline Reed was buried and her family were finally able to mourn her death. Eventually, Pauline Reed and her parents and her brother Paul would end up being buried in the same plot in the cemetery. The next child to be killed by the evil pair was a 12-year-old boy called John Kilbride. The Kilbride family lived in Ashton-under-Lyme, which is in Manchester, England. Ashton-under-Lyme was only four miles away from Gorton in Manchester, where Ian Brady and Myra Hindley lived. John Kilbride came from a large Catholic family, his mother Sheila, father Pat and brothers and sisters. John Kilbride was born on the 15th of May of 1951. John was known by those that knew him at the time to be a cheerful, friendly boy. He attended St Damien's Catholic School. The day he went missing was the 23rd of November of 1963. That day, John Kilbride got up early. It was a Saturday, so there was no school. He went to visit his gran and they had breakfast together. John went to his gran's most mornings to help her with her putting her stockings on because she could not bend down to do them by herself. He would also help her out around the house and would help her with her garden. John went home to have his lunch at midday with most of his family. He had arranged to meet his friend, who was also named John, outside the local cinema. This was a regular outing at the weekend. The two Johns met up just after 1pm outside the cinema as arranged. They watched films until about 4.30pm and then headed off to the market. Back in the 60s, you could often just pay a small fixed sum and watch as many films as you wanted during the afternoons. The boys would often go to the market on a Saturday to try and earn some money by helping the stallholders pack up at the end of the working day. It was also dark now because it was the winter but John Kilbride had done this on many occasions as long as he was home in time for his tea at about 6pm. This time however he did not come home. He had been off to lift by Myra Hindley and Ian Brady. John had been taken to Saddleworth Moors where he had been raped and murdered. The murderers then buried him on the moors just like they had his first victim, Pauline Reed. John Kilbride was usually home on time, so it did not take long before his mother Sheila sensed that something wasn't right. The police were called that night after John still hadn't come home. The boy's disappearance was covered in the local paper, the Manchester Evening News. Police were actively looking for John Kilbride and they were also using dogs as well to try and find him but nothing at all was found of John Kilbride until after Ian Brady had been arrested for the murder of 17-year-old Edward Evans. John Kilbride's body was found in a makeshift grave on Saddleworth Moors. John had been raped and strangled. The third victim of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley was another 12-year-old boy. He was called Keith Bennett. Keith would often go and stay with his grandmother who only lived a few streets away from his own home. Keith Bennett lived in Chalton 
which is in Manchester, Chilton was about nine miles away from Gorton. Keith lived with his mother Winnie and his stepfather and siblings. Keith had very poor eyesight and had to wear glasses from a very early age. On the day that he disappeared, his glasses were broken and at the menders. His mother saw that Keith crossed the road before she went home. Keith was heading to his grandmother's, which had been prearranged. Keith never made it to his grandmother's house. His killers offered him a lift and although Keith Bennett's body has never been found, the killers confessed about 20 years later, that they had actually murdered him and buried him on Saddleworth Moors. It is believed that along with other victims that have been recovered, his body is still up there somewhere. The killers admitted to sexually assaulting Keith and killing him before burying him on Saddleworth Moor. Keith Bennett had been murdered on the evening of the 16th of June of 1964. Keith's mother Winnie, who was pregnant at the time when Keith went missing, always pushed for answers from the killers as well as the police. She would also often visit Saddleworth Moor and leave flowers for Keith. Once Ian and Myra had confessed to killing Keith Bennett, over 20 years after they had been convicted of the three murders, they had offered to try and lead the police to the location of the boy's body. At least Ian apparently knew where the boy was buried, but Myra maintained that she only knew what Ian had originally told her. Winnie Johnson even wrote to Myra Hindley for help once the killers had admitted that both Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett were victims of them. Despite searches being carried out on Saddleworth Moor, with Myra Hindley present on two separate occasions, Keith's body has never been found. Only the body of Pauline Reed was found during these later searches of the moors. Winnie Johnson also wrote lots of letters to Ian Brady over the years in the hope he would help her find her son so that she could finally give him a Christian burial. A memorial was held for Keith Bennett at Manchester Cathedral in March of 2010 to pay their respects. Winnie Johnson told the congregation, I'm Keith's mother, he's there on the moors and I want him back. Unfortunately, when Winnie Johnson died on the 18th of August of 2012, not knowing where her son was buried. <music> Leslie Ann Downey was the next victim of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. She was the youngest child to die at their hands. She was only ten, 10 years old at the time of her death. Leslie Ann was born on the 21st of August of 1954. The family lived in Ancoats, which is about two miles from Gorton in Manchester, where the killers lived. Leslie Ann lived with her mother Anne, her soon-to-be stepfather Alan West, and her three brothers. Leslie Ann was said to be a delightful little girl. She was known to be quite shy, especially with strangers. The day that Leslie Ann Downey disappeared was the 26th of December of 1964, which was Boxing Day. She had apparently been excited with her Christmas presents, especially her little sewing machine, which she wanted to use to make little clothes for her doll. Boxing Day 1964 was on a Saturday and there was a fair in town, which Leslie Ann really wanted to go to. Leslie Ann had her lunch at midday and after lunch her brother Terry gave her a necklace made out of white beads that he had won at the fair earlier that day. It was snowing slightly when her friend Linda along with her brother and sister, called for Leslie Ann, who would also take two of her brothers with her. She was older than the two boys, so she said that she would look after them. They did not have 
very much money on them to spend at the fair and they had got through it pretty quickly. It was just after 5pm when the money ran out and they all decided to make their way home. Leslie Ann then made a fateful decision to run and have a last look at the fair, leaving her friend Linda to take her brothers home for her. Myra and Ian approached the young girl who was on her own at the fair. They had apparently already noticed that she appeared to be alone. Leslie Ann was asked to help pick up some shopping because Myra had dropped it and she was then asked to help carry the shopping to their car. They said that they would give her a lift home, but instead they took her back to their home a few miles away. It had been arranged for Myra Hindley's grandmother to stay with her relatives for Boxing Day, which was not unusual. Myra would pick her up later that day to take her back home. Once the couple had Leslie Ann in the house, they took her upstairs into the spare bedroom. She was forced to undress and Ian Brady took photographs of her. Leslie Ann was also raped and then strangled to death. All the while the attack on Leslie Ann was going on, the couple also recorded on audio tape the whole sick incident. Luckily, the tape and the photographs would be found during the police investigation that followed Edward Evans's death. Leslie's Anne's body was then taken to Saddleworth Moor and buried there. Mara failed to pick up her grandmother due to heavy snow, but the relatives found it odd because she drove to the house to tell them that she could not take her gran home with her because she was worried about driving in the snow. Myra's relatives definitely found her behaviour very strange that day and the fact that she drove there to tell them that she could not drive her gran home but then drove back by herself was strange to say the least. The couple probably needed more time to clear up any evidence before anyone else came into the house. Leslie Ann's mother, Anne, became concerned when she realised that Leslie Ann had not come home with the other children. It did not take long before Leslie Ann's mother called the police to tell them that her daughter had not come home from the fair. Once the fair closed down for the day, it was searched thoroughly with Anne Downey looking on. Lots of door-to-door inquiries took place as well to try and find any witnesses that may have seen Leslie Ann. Once again, dogs were used in the search, but to no avail. Leslie Ann's friend Linda went on local television to try and appeal for any information on her friend's whereabouts. Her photo was in all of the newspapers as well as plenty of posters. No evidence came to light and nothing was discovered about the case until Myra and Ian were arrested. Edward Evans was 17 years old and the oldest victim of Myra Hindley and Ian Brady. This was also the murder where Ian Brady had decided he needed to try and recruit another member into the killing group. David Smith, Myra Hindley's brother-in-law, was the person that Ian Brady had wanted to recruit. Both couples, Ian and Myra and David and Maureen, had been spending a lot of time together. Sadly, the younger couple's daughter, Angela Dawn, had died suddenly at the age of six months. There was not anything suspicious about the baby's death. Edward Evans was born on the 3rd of January of 1948. He lived with his family in Ardwick, Manchester. This was just over two miles from Gorton, where Ian and Myra still lived. Edward Evans was known to be a friendly boy and he liked to make new friends. On the evening of the 6th of October of 1965, Edward Evans had arranged to meet his friend Jeff to go and watch a football match. Jeff, however, did not turn up because 
It turns out his mum was unwell. Edward headed to a local pub for a drink or two instead. He later ended up at a railway station because he had run out of cigarettes and he knew he would be able to get some from a machine there. It turned out that the machine did not sell cigarettes after all, only milk. It was at this station that he was approached by Ian Brady who had noticed him on his own. Ian asked the boy if he would like to come back to his house for a drink. Edward Evans apparently said yes and was then introduced to Myra Hindley, who Ian Brady said was his sister. Myra drove them back to the house. Once back at the house, it was time for Myra to go and get David Smith. She walked the short distance to the flat where David Smith lived with his wife and Myra's sister Maureen. By this time it was late and the Smiths had already gone to bed when Myra turned up on their doorstep. She told Maureen to give her mother a message from her about having her hair done in the morning. Maureen was confused as to why Myra would call round at this late hour just to give her this message. There was a reason for Myra just turning up. She needed to get David back to her home. Myra asked David to walk her back home because she was too scared, despite the fact that she had already walked there on her own in the first place. David Smith reluctantly agreed he got dressed and picked up a long stick he would sometimes carry with him for protection. Once they arrived at the house, Myra stopped David and said that she needed to check that Ian was not developing photos or anything and that his sign to come in would be the lights flashing on and off. Once David saw the lights flash, he walked up to the door and Ian apparently let him in. Once inside the house, David was offered a drink by Ian and David thought that Ian had gone off to get the drinks when he was left alone in the kitchen. But suddenly a noise came from the living room, followed by Myra shouting for David to help Ian. David Smith later said that he thought Ian was being attacked by someone. However, it was Ian attacking a boy the same age as David. Ian used an axe to kill Edward and it would take many blows to kill the poor boy. There was nothing that David could do to stop it. It all happened so fast and Ian was still holding the axe. The whole attack had only taken a few seconds, but the aftermath was horrendous. The poor boy, Edward Evans, was dead. Ian and Myra were acting as though all around them was normal and David Smith just stood there, still holding his stick, now in a state of shock at what had just taken place. David Smith did not know how to get out of this situation. Nothing that David Smith had ever experienced could prepare him for this occasion. He was soon told what to do by Ian Brady. He was ordered to feel the axe, which he did. He was also ordered to take the body upstairs along with Ian and Myra helping. They would put Edward Evans in the spare bedroom for now. They all went downstairs afterwards where David was told to help them to clean up, which he did again. David Smith's explanation for this was that he thought that if he tried to make a run for it, he too would be murdered just like Edward Evans. In his explanation to the police and later the court, he maintained that he, as well as being in a state of shock, was just trying to get out of this situation alive. Once they had all finished the cleaning up, apparently it was decided that Edward Evans' body would have to be moved onto the moors and that they would also need to use Angela Dawn's pram. She had died at only six months old. The Smiths had kept the pram. How bad must David Smith have felt to have to listen to this and all the time Ian and Myra were acting as though it was just a normal day for them. 
Myra Hindley's grandmother had apparently woken up during the commotion. I find that extraordinary as well, that they were so caught up in what they were doing that they just could not care less about anyone else. When Myra's grandmother had called out to see what all the commotion was about, Myra is said to have told her that someone had just dropped something and to go back to sleep. That seems incredible to me, with all the noise that must have been going on. No one questioned them at the time, but quite often people do not like to get involved, and it was, by all accounts, a very quick attack. Once it had been arranged for David Smith to come back the next day with his dead daughter's pram, he was able to leave the house. He reported later that he just ran all the way home, but he kept looking back to make sure that Ian Brady wasn't behind him with the axe. Once back in the flat that he shared with Myra's sister Maureen, David was violently sick and Maureen knew something bad had happened. David Smith blurted out to Maureen what had just happened. Goodness knows what she made of it all. One minute she was asleep in bed and the next her husband is telling her that her sister and her sister's boyfriend had just killed a teenage boy. This is the second part of this episode, The Evil Moors Murderers, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. The third and final part will cover the police investigation, the trial and the prison years of the two killers. Credits for this part go to The Guardian newspaper, Crimes That Shook Britain documentary, Wikipedia and information taken from the book by Emily Williams titled Beyond Belief, The Moors Murderers. <laughs>